0: I don't want this stunted slime in my sight again. As well as episode 8, The Last Jedi, to get us primed and ready for uh, next week. It's already here, coming episode 9, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. So we're getting real excited for that, I just wanted to give... Couple thoughts uh, about Star Wars as we kind of uh, wait for the holidays to to come around, and we'll we'll get some more in depth Star Wars conversation going in uh, the coming weeks. I thought it was interesting that uh, the musical score from John Williams was actually one of the last key pieces to be uh, added in. I couldn't believe it that as late as March of 1977. Of course, the film was released May 25th of 1977. They did a 12 day recording run of the soundtrack for, for Star Wars with John Williams and a full orchestra, and that was done over 12 days in March of 1977, which I can't believe because it's such a huge part of Star Wars in, in general. And it's crazy to think that, that somehow in 1977. Star Wars was like this perfect cocktail that came together with every ingredient so important. And any one ingredient that could have been lacking or would have been uh, underwhelming would have probably made the whole House of Cards topple right down, right? So the score, had it not been as iconic and so um, inventive coming coming from John Williams, who had just actually won an Oscar for his Jaws score in 1975, if he ha- wasn't able to come up with a, a memorable score, who knows if we'd ha- if it would have had the same impact on uh, pop culture that we'd be still sitting around talking about um, this Star Wars saga even today. So, I mean, they go on from the making of the original and they start talking about how they had to come back and somehow come up with the sequel. It was interesting to me that even from the jump, Lucas kind of knew that he was doing this episodic saga that he was going to start with sort of this episode 4 idea even though it was titled Star Wars and they later renamed it to episode 4 he actually had episodes 4, 5 and 6 mapped out where he his original script for Star Wars was so thick and so it was like 200 pages long that he decided to stick with the first act and develop that as the original Star Wars film so he had plans in place for completing his, his trilogy down the line if he, if he had seen uh, some success in the original. And then, of course, the promotion of Star Wars once the film was a hit and having you know Lucas retaining the merchandising rights, which was big for, as an independent filmmaker, and he uh, was able to come up with a comic book deal with Stan Lee at Marvel Comics where they were making Star Wars comics. So there was already a fan base starting to be generated uh, back in uh, 1977. So so can you
1: just lay them all out, just the movies, like from chronological in the timeline, what it should be?
0: Yeah, so it would be episode one, two, and three, which you've already started. And then you'd probably go to Solo because that's a young Han Solo. And, you know, by the end of Revenge of the Sith, we've already got Darth Vader in full swing and we so the Empire has been created and Luke and Leia have been born and we know Han's older than them so Mm -hmm. you've got a young Han Solo and it can't be after Rogue One because Rogue One is the creation of Death Star Mm -hmm. and it rolls right into the plans being stolen and Mm -hmm. them chasing them in the new hope where Han Solo is already old Mm -hmm. so you've got one, two, three, then Solo then Rogue One then 4, 5, 6, then 7, 8. All All right, right. there you go. And by the way, the Mandalorian would be right after Return of the Jedi, so in between 6 and 7. Yes. So we did tease that there's going to be a lot of Star Wars talk leading up to Star Wars Episode 9, and you can't get to 9 without Episode 1. And, you know, you (laughs) teased this in uh, the Mando episode, how you were saying you'd just watch the prequel trilogy
1: i did i did and you know what yeah back to that i love i love queen amidala's story and also palpatine so it's so cool they're both just doing this whole we're not who we are but she reveals that he doesn't at the end i don't know how people i I know i know jar jar banks is the worst i know
0: what does every star wars saga film have at the beginning that kind of lets you know this is going to be a special. Almost
1: like a, a recap of the time you've missed in the world of Star Wars. That's
0: right. This Star Wars crawl. <laughs> so we got this cool crawl because, of course, this all everything that happens in the prequel trilogy is before the events of A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, A Return of the Jedi. So this is all stuff that we've never been introduced before mm-hmm. when you're seeing the crawl for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about things like what's happening in the government. They bring up the Supreme Chancellor Valorum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think they name him, but they talk about his, his stature and what's going on with the Trade Federation. The trade, yeah. And then it opens up in space, as all saga films do,
2: mm-hmm.
0: with a Jedi cruiser heading towards a blockade Federation ship Mm-hmm. where we meet Newt Gunray and all those nasty battle droids. Uh, so you've got battle droids fighting with the, the Jedi, who we know are Obi-Wan Kenobi and his master, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. They end up having to seek the help of Jar Jar's people, the Gungans, in order to get to the capital to talk to Queen Amidala. So this is where we get introduced to Queen Amidala and her whole troop of, I guess, lookalikes at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, her handmaidens. Her
0: handmaidens. That's right. Mm-hmm. But this ain't the Handmaid's <laughs> Tale. When they do eventually escape Naboo, they have to. They their ship I think gets hit, mm-hmm. and they so they're trying to rescue the queen, and they have to land on a mysterious planet of Tatooine, which is we all know our favorite dustball planet of A New Hope. Dustball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it brings us back to familiar territory, and we start to get some OT vibes when they're on Tatooine and. And they basically, the queen urges that one of her prized handmaidens or one of her top handmaidens go with them to secure a new hyperdrive engine for the ship.
1: Sneaky moves.
0: Some sneaky moves. There's some interesting references, like they encounter Anakin for the first time, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing not what you'd expect from (laughs) The deadliest force in the galaxy in a little innocent boy named Anakin Skywalker.
1: Oh, he's like this genius. He, like he created C-3PO.
0: That's right. Builds his own droids. He's like, he's a great little pilot for a little kid of his age. I know. And he's even competing in pod races. Uh, and, you know, he's a wide-eyed boy who just doesn't know take... anything outside of Tatooine. And he even says to Qui-Gon, he's like, no one can kill a Jedi. And then Liam Neeson has this great dramatic moment where he goes... I wish that were so.
1: <laughs> Foreshadowing? <laughs> yeah, and R- R2 actually yeah, for sure is there because he calls 3PO naked, doesn't he? He's like, you know you're naked.
0: That's right. Each uh, From the jump, when they first meet, he's already chirping 3PO. <laughs> but yeah, there's something about this boy, I guess. You
1: yes, can see so things much, before they happen. So much so, they take him back to the uh, committee and, they, and Liam Neeson says, I'm going to train him.
0: I will train the boy.
1: <laughs> I will train the boy, no matter what you say, Yoda.
0: That's right. The council get painted as these, like, bureaucratic, like, Jedi who just don't want like, I know, fear that's everything. What I <laughs> mean, that's <laughs> what I mean
1: about this film. I'm like, what is their deal? Like, this is, like, the least the way you would think about them. But, of course, it, it's nice because it shows you, the, like, harsh reality of things. It's
0: uh, So, I, I do love the introduction to Yoda and how we're getting some more wise words from him where he goes, Fear is the path to the dark side. Mm-hmm. He starts schooling people on. You, you know what? As as much grief as I'm giving the Jedi, there's a far worse force out there, and that is the dark side. So, yeah, We've got tip, a 401k. tip top shape up here in the Jedi <laughs> Council. So it's nice that there's a little Phantom Menace creeping out to to greet them. Yeah, uh, but before we get to the real Phantom Menace, we're introduced to the big bad of Episode One, which uh, he's sent out by Darth Sidious himself to go challenge qui-gon jinn and the rest of the crew on tatooine
1: yeah every every 90s kids uh horror i know <laughs> darth
0: maul the badass of the series i would say hornhead yeah <laughs> darth maul uh, you know he's not a man of many words but uh he gets the job done he's got a double-sided red lightsaber and he just goes to town
1: Yeah, I remember when that double-sided lightsaber came out. It was, like, so exciting for everyone.
0: (laughs) I'm probably not alone in saying that Duel of the Fates, when they actually end up getting to showdown in this film, is my favorite part of The Phantom Menace, for sure. Just the fight between Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Darth Maul, just, it kind of makes that movie worth watching.
1: Yeah, exactly, when, you know, when the, the protector partitions come up, and Obi-Wan has to basically just watch the fight. And, and even when they come down and he runs and then they go up again. And it's just the ultimate suspense.
0: Yeah. That, that fight scene, it showed you how crazy these Jedi battles can actually get. And that's kind of what the prequel trilogy does for me. It just, it does what a prequel is supposed to do. It kind of paints more backdrop for you to imagine what's going on. Even when you go to watch the original trilogy, you're getting ideas of what could be happening. Mm -hmm. Out there in the galaxy that maybe were brought on by the events of what came before. Just like the original trilogy, there are some main players to the prequel trilogy. And that's not just Anakin Skywalker, but it's also Padme Amidala, and it's also Obi-Wan Kenobi. So when you look at these films, you can also look at the journey that they go on and see that they make a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. And especially because Ewan McGregor's not even done in this world, it gets me excited when I watch his development and know that there's gonna, we're going to get more from him to come.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a it, That's a great idea that they have for Obi-Wan because there's so much in between the two trilogies for his story it's so exciting it's kind of like solo but i'm more excited almost
0: yeah and i uh, love how obi-wan he's not just a yes man like he's challenging qui-gon too and he steps, says stuff like the boy is dangerous they all sent it why can't you and he's just like really going after him right yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, i know
1: his accent why can't you uh
0: but yeah so there's obviously the big showdown against darth maul that's how we lose our dear friend Qui-Gon, mm. but that only enrages Obi-Wan further, and he gets the he gets his revenge he does, on yeah. Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Slices him in half, but we see Darth Maul fall down into a pit, and that's it. Yeah. Until maybe later.
1: Until maybe... As later. far as
0: uh, 1999 goes, it, that was the end of Darth Maul. But uh, we all know uh, that if you're following along in the series and you end up making it solo, we get a tease that he's solo.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: But That's years later. That's closer to the uh, original trilogy time.
1: Oh, I can only just imagine him at the bottom of that pit, two halves, being like, I'll make it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he
0: does... Well, if you think about it, I mean, it was Darth Sidious that pulled all the strings, but he was a pretty menacing villain as well.
1: Yeah. So, and then is that how that film ends? And we. Move-
0: so, after Duel of the Fates, which is a great number by uh, John Williams, that score mm-hmm. is just yeah. incredible. That's another thing, too. I mean, there's all there's all sorts of positives to get out of watching another episode of a Star Wars saga film. It's not just like... Oh, the Jar Jar was annoying. There's so many great, like, features to watching Star Wars that I think they all kind of amount to something that is pretty special. Yeah. So they go, they take out Maul, and then, of course in the sky Anakin Skywalker's uh, learning his flying chops more by taking out the trade Federation ships and the droid the droid army right so he's he's helping by Anakin stay in that cockpit okay I will I'll stay in this cockpit I'll oh fly yeah to I space. forgot and he flies so, up to space yeah so I mean they they kind of take out the droid army once you take out the blockade droid control ship all the droids drop, and uh, I get Wakanda vibes when I watch that back now. When I watch them fighting on Naboo, it's it's like they're fighting in, in Wakanda. Yeah, and, I get that
1: for sure. Bit. Or
0: Infinity War, sir. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got the big parade where they're all celebrating. I don't know why. There's still a Dark Lord of the Sith out there, but they're all happy that they won the battle. They haven't won the war, and uh, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine now, as it is, has begun his true journey throughout Mm. this prequel trilogy. And I noticed how he walks by in the the parade. We'll be watching your career career with with great great interest. interest. That's right.
1: going to be crazy.
0: Yeah, so that's why I think, well, definitely the Phantom Menace is alluding to Darth Sidious because they do say at the end of the movie, always two there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. But which was destroyed, the master or the apprentice? Mm. Phantom Menace. So... The whole reason why we have Star Wars out there in the galaxy is because of this guy, Darth Sidious, and the attack continues mm-hmm. with some clones.
1: <laughs> and you kind of open up not open up, but pretty soon into the film kind of get introduced to the the clones original. So That's
0: right, the OG. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I was thinking about this, we mentioned it when we were talking about the Mandalorian and i actually don't think even jango fett is a true mandalorian i think he's just rocking the armor
1: yeah well i mean obviously the the stormtroopers are him
0: i mean i'm sure anyone out there listening who is really big into the canon of star wars will will jump in and and correct us to probably yeah. say that i don't think he's he's got like the gear the je- the jetpack the the mandalorian armor but i think he got that from someone maybe from bounty hunting like i don't think he is a mandalorian himself
1: no i don't I don't think so either because he has a human son. We well, find that, it.
0: That's actually one of his clones too.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So clones can age.
0: But the cool thing linking it back to the Mandalorian, in a sense, when you're watching the Mandalorian these days, is that fact that Doctor Pershing in the Mandalorian is wearing a Kamino cloning patch. So it makes you think of Kamino and the adventure that Obi Wan goes on to find out about the clone army.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So lots of fun, and of course the. Relationship between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman—it's it, it, so it, awkward. It barely stood a chance to begin with because we're literally going from it, Little Annie in uh, in Phantom Menace to this, and I know ten years has passed. But it's still a little awkward.
1: Well, it doesn't really start till nearer to the end, right? Because she she basically is like, no. And then...
0: Well, actually, at the very beginning when I watched it, I was laughing because Padme lights him up to begin with. She I says, know. And he always be that little boy on Tatooine. <laughs> You're not getting near this.
1: I know. And then he just is persistent enough, Too I guess. persistent and creepy. It's a lame, lame romance. But <laughs> Sir Walter's right, uh... You know, it's not about that.
0: That's correct. And so they go back to Tatooine, even though they're supposed to be hiding out on Naboo, continuing their love affair or whatever you call that. I hate sand. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so they end up on Tatooine because he wants to go save his mother from a vision that he had where his mother's not doing so hot, and he's right. Turns out his force visions are correct, and he stumbles upon Lars Homestead, which is Luke's hometown. Luke's, Luke's moisture farm of his upbringing.
1: Yeah, because Luke gets the shit end of the stick.
0: That's right, he gets stuck there on Tatooine because his dad's an overlord. <laughs> yeah. So um, Anakin's interrogating Cleek. Turns out. You know, Watto sold Schmi to Klieg Lars, and then Lars freed her and married her because they fell in love. Uh, so then they couldn't save her from the Tuscan Raiders, I guess, who stole her weeks ago, and she's been stuck in the Tuscan Raider camp. Anakin finds out, loses his mind, unfortunately doesn't save his mother, and then murders the whole camp. <laughs> so dark side's coming out. Oh man palpatine starts his grooming of anakin early on in the attack of the clones he even tells him he sees him becoming the most powerful jedi oh, even yes. more powerful than yoda um, is
1: this when they're at cirque du soleil or is that later oh, that
0: happens that's you're alluding to my favorite scene and that's coming up in revenge uh, so that's where he really tries to seduce anakin uh, scene. so i'll just tease ahead to that's
1: true that. that's basically the end game yeah
0: yeah so It's all leading. This movie is... It is a lot of filler. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of filler trying to get you, like you said, from point A to point B, which is taking it from young Anakin in The Phantom Menace to a guy that's capable of becoming Darth Vader by the end of Revenge of the Sith. So there's a lot of ground to cover. I do like the whole Kamino cloning facility and the origin of how they got their army. Yeah, when
1: they're like, oh, your army is ready for you. Yeah, like Master
0: Sifo-Dyas, who we've never heard from and will never hear from again. He's just this old jedi who i guess he had an ulterior motive or maybe he was intending for the army to be for the republic but he was basically uh when he was still alive he was concocting this clone army for someone to take over the galaxy with
1: yeah and doesn't and then when obi-wan phones home to like like tell them does he get caught by count dooku he's like warning warning and count dooku's like Actually, I'm here. Like, how does he get caught in like the?
0: So he actually goes on his own adventure following Django Fett. So what happens is they have a little battle on yeah. Kamino, and but Django Fett was just trying to peace out because he knew that Obi Wan was on his tail.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: then they have their battle, but then he ends up tracking Django Fett in kind of a reverse way that Bob Fett tracks them and the the team to Cloud mm-hmm. City on Bespin in The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a reversal there where Obi-Wan tracks him to Geonosis where you have the whole capture and then Anakin and Padme get captured and they do the whole arena battle. Yes. And that's actually where we encounter those three different creatures... Mm-hmm. so that's the coolest part about attack of the clones is how all the jedi council show up in full force yeah and they're all fighting together and you really see it's, what the jedi could be it's funny you should so, say like, that the that avengers of the, the Star ex- that's Wars, exactly
1: words. right We were saying about phantom menace so like it was like the wakanda scene i'm like well that is like the scene in endgame where they all come out and it's a final battle like that's right except it's not epic. Yeah, save
0: obi-wan and all the, exactly all the rest.
1: yeah no it's cool
0: So yeah, there are some definitely cool action sequences to take out of Attack of the Clones. It obviously boils down to when they go to the Separatist base and, you know, it's the big reveal. Like Count Dooku is Darth Mm Tyrannus and they have that huge showdown between first Dooku versus Obi-Wan and Anakin. But because they don't know how to work as a team, they get schooled and then Yoda has to show up. save the day but here's where we see some failure from yoda because he has to make a choice does he fight dooku or does he save Obi one and anakin and he opts to save them dooku escapes with the death star plans and rogue one and the original trilogy become made possible because of yoda's failure (laughs) and that's why he's always schooling people on failure every time we meet him has not
1: lived it down
0: (laughs) so that was attack of the clones and it all boils down to my favorite of the prequel trilogy, and that's where we really see Anakin turn to the dark side of the Force. Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith.
1: Man, Revenge of the Sith opens up. As I was kind of mentioning before, with Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor just being badass together, it's like they were best friends for a year in real life and figured it out. And they're like, now we get what he's doing with this story. And you're like, yes, and it's so much better. That's right.
0: And it's been, I think, three years now since Attack of the Clones. So they've been going on missions and sometimes separate, sometimes together. And you can really tell that they're like, they become bros.
1: Yeah, no, for sure.
0: You've got separatist droid army that's captured the the Supreme Chancellor. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know at this point you can kind of tell he's playing games. Yeah. Just trying to see, like, how powerful Anakin can get. And he's trying to coax him into mm-hmm. doing dark side deeds.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we've got that opening scene where it's a space battle. And I love how they open on that because it kind of relieves the pressure of having to build to a climax where you have this huge... Space battle, it's like, okay, well, we've, we've seen this big space battle to open up Revenge of the Sith, so we don't feel the need to end on, on that note. We can do something different mm-hmm. because we've kind of gotten this huge space battle right off the jump. So then they, they get onto the ship where Palpatine's being held, and it's the droid commander, General Grievous, and Count Dooku who are behind it all. And that's where you get a rematch showdown between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And this time, Anakin's been getting stronger and he comes back darker, and it goes one to one with Count Dooku, and takes him out mm. with Palpatine cheering him on.
1: Oh, I know! And ew, do and, it, do it, yeah, because Anakin's original uh, thought is to just take him into custody or whatever, jail him, and then Palpatine—he's <laughs> like, "Nope, kill him, kill him." And so he goes back to see his lava. That's right, and she goes, "Anakin." I'm pregnant or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> basically. So the reason he like really goes to the dark side is he He thinks
0: he loses them all. He thinks he, he loses No, her he just in thinks he loses
1: her, yeah. So yeah. he has a dream that night that That's she tells right. him. And then he's like, Oh no, you're gonna die. So his whole what he thinks basically exactly what Yoda warned us all about, the fear takes over and he's like Oh, I need to figure out how to save her. And of course, the dark side people are going to be like, yeah, we know how to do stuff. That guy's basically psychic yeah city or whatever we want to call him right now palpatine is basically psychic because he's like he knows is he psychic how does he know he had that dream he fully knows his fears
0: well that's the power of the dark side he can yeah. he can feel search his, it, search his feelings and he can he can tell what his mind's fixated on
1: yeah at, so. exactly so that's really how he gets it because before that dream happens like i guess when there's not as much at stake Like, it's less easy to go to the dark side and just being philosophical. But once there's, like, a higher stake, aka he's going to be having a kid, things get a little more stressful, and then he realizes he might lose Amidala, then it's easier to turn to whatever you think is going to save. So the dark side can be more powerful in that sense. Yeah,
0: and I always think, like, he's got this unprecedented level of power. They're all calling him the Chosen One. He's supposed to be doing the prophecy, fulfilling bringing balance to the force and of course the jedi are scared of this Mm -hmm. but uh you know i always think about whenever we have these stories especially in say like marvel superhero stories whenever you have like a really overpowered bad guy who's maybe a, a child or doesn't know how to control their powers they're always like that's when they're most dangerous and in this case anakin's just like freaking out emotionally and because he's so powerful It's leading to really dark possibilities of where his mind can go. Like Mm -hmm. he knows he's powerful enough to make a difference, so he's now thinking of like the most desperate ways to do so.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is at the Cirque du Soleil thing when he really does. I just call it that.
0: Yeah, it's funny that they call Star Wars the space opera, and literally where he seduces Anakin to the dark side is like at a space opera. (laughs) Yeah, but no, it is my favorite. Yeah, it is an opera. Entire prequel trilogy that that is that is where he lays it down how powerful he really is it's it's where you even though you knew that Chancellor Palpatine is really Darth Sidious and becomes Emperor Palpatine because of the name and because it's the same actor reprising that role if you were really deep into Star Wars you knew that you saw that coming but what you didn't see is how he he changes from that like friendly political face to the sinister, join the dark side now, let's rule the galaxy, kind of. Other than Sidious ordering people around, you never really knew what drives him. Mm -hmm. And this is where you get that nice little exposition dump, and he tells you, did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Mm -hmm. When Anakin says, uh, nope, never heard of that story, he goes, it's "It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. (laughs) It's a Sith legend. It's a Sith legend. That's right. So he starts talking about a powerful Sith Lord named Darth Plagueis. And he goes into great detail about this story. Details he could only really have if he were intimately involved in the story. He's talking about how Darth Plagueis trained an apprentice. And Darth Plagueis was so powerful with the dark side that he became able to cheat death and essentially create life. Or even bring people back from the brink of death or save people from dying and so he ends this great speech this monologue if you will with uh the fact that uh he says ironic he was able to save others from death but not himself because he claims that the apprentice murdered him in his sleep and we all know by this point he's implying he was the apprentice to darth Plagueis, and he is in fact darth sidious
1: so Mm -hmm. that is the
0: big reveal even though you kind of sensed it it was really cool in how they pulled it off
1: definitely yeah
0: and then of course it's not till later when things get really dramatic and anakin finds out that he is the darth lord they've all been searching and then that's when it gets really complicated <laughs>
1: yeah um one of the scary like the best more prominent memories i have of this movie is the the forced lightning or what do you is that oh, yeah? when
0: he gets to use it on uh he tries to use it on mace Windu initially
1: yeah, and he and it backfires onto his face, and then it's that's like that's how you disfigured. That's how you look like that. It's
0: Thanos' face,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is so epic. And the way he laughs when he's doing the Force Lightning oh, he, he is, he's good at that, yeah, good at he, that role.
0: He's cackling, and
1: he, yeah,
0: he really is. I mean, and then anyone who loves his performance in return of the jedi they're just loving it because they're getting more emperor palpatine style right mm-hmm. from revenge and that's probably why i resonate more with this movie out of out of the 3 just cuz it gives you those those vibes of this is what this is what is going to take over the galaxy and eventually, essentially rule the empire right mm-hmm. so it's 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 this combination of ultimate power and just i guess desperate Yearning. Like at this point that's what Darth Vader is, right? He's just like yeah, this, he's just grasping at straws. Yeah, like he's he's defeated in every way because he lost the thing But he's he loves so most.
1: powerful, so it's like yeah, physically.
0: It's, it's crazy. It's it's like Frankenstein's monster almost like it's, I
1: know, it's, it's yeah, very manipulated. Um so when he goes and and that is that where the younglings die?
0: So first he goes and wipes out the younglings and then he gets ordered to go and wipe out the separatist leaders.
1: Mm hmm. And that's when Obi-Wan goes to Amidala and is like, he's gone to the dark side.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he just lays down the law. I love that scene between the two. I
1: know. She's like, what? And he's like, yeah, he's gone.
0: (laughs) You lost him. (laughs) But
1: then he follows her. And
0: And that's where we get an epic climax to Revenge of the Sith, where you finally get to see what you probably would have liked to have seen in A New Hope when you go back and you watch those movies. And you're like... The, ol- the only lightsaber battle you get in A New Hope is the one between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. And it's kind of just to, to bide time for the rest of the heroes to get away from the Death Star. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really like you kind of leave feeling unfulfilled until you get more lightsaber battles in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But this is the sort of the rematch but back in time before the initial bout in A New Hope. So this is the big battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker. To essentially, end their friendship <laughs> if it wasn't over already. I know. Yeah. Sealed the deal. <laughs>
1: I know. And well, actually, even just before they battle, he um, Vader or or Anakin at this point, not sure. <laughs> basically, almost kills his wife and mother of his children. Child.
0: <laughs> That's right. So he's basically acting again on this fear, and yep. he's desperate, and he. He's trying to explain it to Obi Wan, but Obi Wan knows he's a lost cause. They end up fighting over the lava pits of Mustafar, and of course, Obi Wan ends up on the high ground.
1: But is warns it warns Annie. Is it during this? And honestly, it's the the worst thing ever. It's it, it's just as bad as uh, Infinity War dust moment. Uh, execute Oh that's right. Execute so, plan sixty what is it? Quest sixty six? What is
0: uh, it? Execute order 66, order 66. That's 66. the big the big play by Palpatine, other than acquiring Anakin, of course, mm-hmm. is to basically he's been playing both sides and now he's chosen his side to be the Empire and he basically had this whole thing embedded in the clone army where they could just switch on a dime, Order sixty six happens, and the clone army Turns on their Jedi counterparts and wipes them out, all of
1: them. It's it's so upsetting. I I don't know how people don't find this movie like iconic. I that part is and just flashes to every single sick Jedi and like and they're just getting yeah. And horrible.
0: The, the cool thing too is when this Being all went totally down, betrayed. Yeah, and the cool thing too is when this all went down. Yoda was on Chewie's planet of Kashyyyk.
1: Yes, and really,
0: he would have been another one of the casualties if it wasn't for. Children. I
1: know he was. Well, he was lucky. I know Yoda, Yoda's exit. I failed. Banish me.
0: <laughs>
2: that's
1: right. He <laughs> Just leaves, but like we're happy about it because he needs to. He needs to help Luke later.
0: Well, that's the, that's the cool thing too is that it does set you up for the original trilogy, and even with the Jedi, they go from being this, uh, you know, huge council of wise authority figures to just being like crusty old hermits on their respective planets <laughs> whoever's left is like hiding out do you Empire.
1: think that's what he made the little baby <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right i mean yeah i don't want to dig about. so yeah so that that gave me some great nostalgic feels we know nostalgia is a currency and it's riding high with star wars
1: but wait one more thing so at the very very end when we see the babies be born Vader is oh my god also the epic epic surgery where they make him into Vader I love that so much it's it's so cheesy but yeah. so good
0: So and that's what I was kind of mentioning when we first discussed Revenge of the Sith is that you know even though he does declare him Darth Vader when he sort of Anakin makes that turn to the dark side it's not really until he loses the fight to Obi-Wan where he becomes the Darth Vader we know in the original trilogy yeah. Well, what? So we'll start where it all began in 1977, Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. This is one of your faves, right, sis?
1: Definitely is. Help us, Obi-Wan. You're our only hope.
0: That's right, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Huge instrumental piece to this mm-hmm. whole story. I just love everything. It's the classic hero's journey. We wouldn't have any of this love for Star Wars without the original, and it's just this great film you know that it's similar to the Harry Potter journey it's you know it's Luke Skywalker on a dusty planet of Tatooine and he's he wants a life outside of being just a farmer we did have to sort of say say goodbye to some people along the way and of course the saddest of them all because it affected us in real life uh in addition to others such as Peter Mayhew who played Chewbacca we recently lost so rest in peace mm-hmm. but of course Carrie Fisher who we lost uh our princess leia our general leia organa however you want to refer to her she is one of the uh, founding fathers of Star Wars. so
1: Definitely. Yeah, she's OG.
0: OG OT, so Princess Leia. So I guess she's kind of the first character that you kind of get a sneak peek at in the Star Wars universe from the very opening with the Empire. You know, the rebels are on the run. Uh, it's the blockade runner, and the Empire is right on their heels with these huge Star Destroyers. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the stormtroopers board the blockade runner but that first shot of any of our heroes is just a glimpse of Princess Leia crouching down. You already mentioned it mm-hmm. earlier up top where she's crouching down with R2-D2 and she's trying to give him the secret message that the Death Star plans that will take down the Empire or at least uh, ignite this, this trilogy and give the Rebels a new hope. When, of course, the plans do get away from the Empire's assault, it's by way of our trusty droids that carry us through the entire saga all nine episodes, C3PO, mm-hmm. RTG2, they've got the Death Star plans and they crash land on Tatooine. Mm. That's for me where the world building takes off because they like they love to revisit Tatooine throughout Star Wars mythology. Yeah. And it's such a it's like that underdog planet. It's not governed. It's like the outlaw planet, right? It's yeah. the like where where it really feels like the wild wild west, even out in outer space.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: the The inciting incident really would be. For I guess Luke to discover the uh, Leia's hidden message in within R two when he's just doing his chores cleaning the droids, and all of a sudden he's thrown into this huge wide world. The thing is, the the droids lead the Empire to that very farmstead, and of course, poor old Owen Lars. You know, I always say that wizard's just a crazy old man, but
2: uh,
0: <laughs> you know, him and his wife Beru, they don't have a chance against the Empire when they they come no. to look for the droids. So uh, that, that, that's really the thing that forces Luke to just join the cause because now that he's learned that there's more to his background and his history, mm-hmm. he knows a bit about his father being in the clone, mm-hmm. fighting in the clone wars with Obi Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. And he's all kind of excited by that, but at the same time, he's still grounded to Tatooine with uh, his life there and his chores. But then, of course, <laughs> aunt and uncle. Toasty McGees, oh. and it's time to to get out of yeah, here. Yeah, you
1: got nothing to lose at that point.
0: Let's hit the cantina for a drink.
1: That's what makes a hero, man. But
0: but that's not the only hero on Tatooine, right? No. I guess probably my favorite hero out of the bunch, which is Han Solo.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Long before the days of McClunky, um, <laughs> it was Han Solo that shot first when uh, the first time you sort of meet him, he's sitting in the bar and he's just secured the deal with. Uh, Luke and Obi-Wan, and then you find out what kind of guy he is because there's bounty hunters looking for him on behalf of the cl- crime lord Jabba the Hutt from mm. the, the ruler of Tatooine, so to speak, Or the because Tatooine is mainly ruled by the underworld. Dorito comes looking for Han Solo, and of course Han shoots first. Special editions, they kind of tweak it to look like he was just doing it out of self-defense. But we know Han, he's a bit of a scoundrel, and if, if his life's on the line, he's going to shoot first. So.
1: Yeah, he has allegiance to no one. Except himself.
0: That's right. So we see Han go on this epic journey of discovery, so to speak, finding a cause, finding love, in a way. So mm-hmm. there we go. We're kind of off on our adventure, and it it doesn't go exactly as planned. I mean, they're trying to get uh, to get back to Alderaan, I think, but they realize that it's gone. Like they want to get in touch with the rebellion, and that's kind of where they know, like Leia's family is from Alderon. So like they know they have friends there, mm-hmm. and that's where they're headed. But of course, I think Obi Wan senses a disturbance in the Force, and then it's uh, it's game over for yeah, Aldron. So
1: course change.
0: Yeah. So I mean, you've got Leia now, who's captured by the Empire and being interrogated on the Death Star by uh, both Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin, and they're like both these menacing villains that kind of are at the sitting at the top seat under the Emperor in the in the great empire so they're they're trying to get princess leia to cough up the secret rebel base and because they won't they go after her home planet yeah so of course uh the big showdown between obi-wan kenobi and darth vader is how the rest of the crew manages to escape on the millennium falcon and we get uh obi-wan kind of accepting that he's kind of come to the end of his journey and lets darth vader strike him down He Mm lets Darth Vader strike him down because of course he told him if you strike me down I shall become more powerful than you can ever imagine. So we know that Obi-Wan Kenobi's not gone for good.
2: Yeah.
0: And then from there and that's also why I really can't wait for this Ewan McGregor series on Disney Plus because it's going to be a limited series but it's going to be one more story with Obi-Wan probably most likely set in between Revenge of the Sith and The New Hope where he's kind of just having to stick on close to Tatooine and close to Luke and make sure that he's yeah. okay you know what i mean
1: it's really like there's so much his storyline is like abundant like it's just so exciting it's coming at a good time i think to learn more about the gaps in for sure and knowledge. especially because
0: the nine episodes will be done the skywalker saga will be over and this will be kind of just like some of the other characters get a moment to shine like now yeah. it was uh it was pretty cool to see him back as well so then just to wrap up a new hope basically it doesn't even come back you would think in a star wars movie after all the movies you've seen like forgetting that this is the first one that it would all boil down to some you know lightsaber duel like it, like it did at the end of the phantom menace but really it's about that big space battle where they have to take down the death star now that yeah. they have the plans mm-hmm. and the force does come into play cuz luke uh, has to use it to calculate perfect shot and uh he can't do it alone he needs to help uh, some guidance from uh ghost of obi-wan kenobi as well as the big surprise ending you want to talk about who is maybe one of the bigger heroes of A New Home?
1: <laughs> Woo!
0: Let's blow this thing and go home. Han Solo. Well,
1: Han. Okay, but it's always Han.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. but That was
1: a trick question.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's mainly because, you know, Darth Vader's right on Luke's ass, and he's basically, he's got him in his sights. And it's really Han who's, his decision to not, selfishly go back to Jabba the Hutt with his money from the rebellion that he got for saving the the princess True. he actually decides to come back and help Luke in that moment and that's the reason why Luke was able to destroy the Death Star. yeah
1: and that's and that really is a smart move in creating like a whole world that's going to continue on
0: so if we're if we were talking episode three and four we're going to head into my favorite which is episode five the Empire Strikes Back.
1: Is it really? That
0: is the best movie. I think it's my favorite movie of all time. Like I oh my God. I talk a lot about other movies that I like, you know, different genres like Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, mm-hmm. even Braveheart if you look at certain epics and the fact that we have a Scottish background. I mean, mm-hmm. Braveheart's in the conversation, but The Empire Strikes Back, yeah, it's good. That's my favorite Star Wars film. I mean, it's got so much going for it. It doesn't have the There is a certain magic to A New Hope, I'll give you that, where Mm -hmm. it's, like, the hero's journey and it's all, like, happy ending and, you know, everyone gets their moment. Mm -hmm. The Empire Strikes Back, that's almost like, if you're looking at the Marvel movies, like, Infinity War. Like, that's just, it's got dire ending to it. It's, like, it's all darkness. Mm -hmm. The Last Jedi is kind of dark as well. Mm -hmm. That's the one, as I was growing up, that kept sticking with me emotionally because there's so much going on with the characters. I mean, they're really... If you look at like the Last Jedi being about failure, that's like a central theme. It's pretty much the theme of Empire Strikes Back as well, mm-hmm. where all of the main titular heroes, you know, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, they're all being put through the ringer. I mean, mm-hmm. Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite indefinitely, like it's <laughs> like, like you don't know what's happening oh with him. Gosh. Like when that, and then of course I'm going to use the the I word. That iconic line of "I love you." i know (laughs) it's great (sighs) Uh, they knew when they came back with the empire strikes back in 1980 they needed a storyline to be uh, a little better a little uh, different from the first so they got irvin kershner to come in and direct and uh, he says in the documentary i felt i needed humor in the story but couldn't have gags which is an interesting comment because you know you talk a lot people um, compare Even the humor inside of some of the newer Star Wars films, it's often compared with the humor inside of the Marvel films, and what Star Wars needs to do is stick with its own brand of humor that feels like it fits inside of the Star Wars universe, because the more uh, you have sort of uh, meta-humor jokes and gags coming through that feel too modern or just uh, not very Star Wars-like, then that can easily pull you out of the film I think they've done a decent job up to this point of uh, balancing the humor and trying to make it more Star Wars like but I do know that that's one of the major complaints of some of the newer films is that some of the humor doesn't land or seem like it fits Star Wars so it was interesting to hear Irwin Kirshner talk about the humor used inside of the Empire Strikes Back which is actually my favorite of the uh, original trilogy and the fact that he knew that it was such dire stakes It was such a dark tone in Empire Strikes Back compared to A New Hope that he knew he needed a little bit of humor to break that up, but that he couldn't just go for traditional gags and jokes. He needed humor to feel more organic and fit inside of the Star Wars universe, which I thought was pretty cool. And we have uh, Billy D. Williams, of course, being introduced inside of the Empire Strikes Back. And uh, he, he mentions in the documentary how it's always interesting to create a character that's a sort of dual character, and uh, I, I like how he talks about understanding the dynamics of uh, Lando Calrissi and how he's this smooth-talking sort of scoundrel type who's gone legit, and now he's running his own city, uh, Cloud City, on, on Bespin. So he's got these kind of responsibilities, and then he, he's got his uh, ties to his friends of the past, including Han Solo. So where does his, where do his loyalties lie, as far as uh, helping out his friends in their time of need, or looking after his, his other responsibilities in Cloud City, and of course the Empire overshadowing it all. So it's it's really crazy to think about the character work that really went in uh, into making these films as classic as they are. All these characters have these tropes that play off each other so nicely, and they all kind of feel like the mythology is earned and it feels you know, you can see the inspiration uh, from from the mythologies of the past when that went into developing Star Wars.
1: So do you think that if we watch The Return of the Jedi, and then we watch all ten episodes of Mandalorian, and then we watch The Force Awakens, that's gonna be seamless.
0: Mm. So that's a big chunk of time where evil has Found its way to crawl back
2: mm-hmm. into
0: a position of some power anyways with the first order mm-hmm. but this will be a different side of the empire because they're not gone they just got defeated but they're running scared and they're on the outskirts in the outer rim yeah so there's still some sinister activity going on with some of these i guess generals and admirals or whoever is still out there who, who didn't um you know get taken down during the Return of the Jedi or even like the fall of the Battle of Jakku. Mm-hmm. So you know how in Force Awakens how there's all those downed Star Destroyers and you see Rey and she's scavenging. Cause yeah. They, yeah. Had, they had this big battle even after Return of the Jedi to like finally sort of snuff out the the Empire. and We don't really know. I mean there are canon junkies out there who will – chime in I'm sure and correct me because I'm sticking to sort of what we know from the movies. Yeah, we don't really know how that went down how long after Return of the Jedi you know mm-hmm. there's still Empire lurking out there in the galaxy it's going to be interesting to see how the Mandalorian who's a, this bounty hunter looking figure who looks like Boba Fett yeah, uh, we don't know much about him but he's wearing the Mandalorian armor and he's kind of we don't know if he's a good guy we don't know if he's a bad guy it'll be interesting to see how he like interacts with either heroes or villains inside of star wars
1: yeah i think it'll tell us more of that story then that'll be really interesting
0: yeah so that'll be cool I so know, you watched be. return of the Jedi. so there anything that stood out to you that was just like oh i'm so happy that like you know we're we're still getting star wars or the uh, i just
1: wonder at jabba the Hutt as a character oh right d- do you find him scary did you find him scary when you first obviously now not but
0: I think you know. as a kid Jabba was scary. I mean he's pretty gross and in Return of the Jedi, I mean that was the first time I was introduced to him. Mm-hmm. Uh he definitely has that uh you know he's a he's not CGI, he's a uh, he is sort of a prop. You know, so. And it's
1: just less is more in Return of the Jedi. He really doesn't even say much. Most of his henchmen talk for him and he's just there gross and then like laughs about how he's gonna just kill you with the rancor like it's, it's very less is more so it is a bit scary but but uh, I just think it's too weird for me to be I think he's too weird and gross looking for me to be like scared of him I right. yeah, yeah but it's an I interesting...
0: mean he is a little dated in terms of aesthetic yeah. um, but at the same time I think it's just the whole like the fact that you're in the underbelly like you know the capital of scum and villainy it seems at Jabba's palace and just like everyone seems like they are out to get you i just yeah the the whole thing it it definitely has a darker feel than a new hope um and there's some i mean that sequence they're on tatooine i think for the first like at at least half hour of the film so Mm -hmm. it's not just like a glimpse of yeah jabba it's, it's like you, you're sitting in his uh world for a little yeah it's true bit. it's tr- I, I still maintain that out of the three movies empire strikes back is my favorite but the action inside of return of the jedi is like there's echoes from a new hope but it's like it, it really is that that bigger and better sequel, if that makes sense. Like yeah. maybe the themes aren't as, they don't resonate as much as maybe a new hope or Empire Strikes Back, but the actual action and spectacle is on, like it's on the tippy top.
1: Tippy top. And is that the mo? is that the biggest role Lando plays in all six films?
0: Well, so he had the sort of, uh, on the fence role in Empire Strikes Back. And yeah. now he's kind of like, you know, general in the rebellion and yeah, you see him, uh, you know, leading the charge on, in the space battle. I, I love that too about Return of the Jedi, just mm-hmm. how there's, it's like this multifaceted epic where you've got multiple things going on at the same time. You've got the space battle up top. You've got the battle for Endor to take down the shield generator for the new Death Star. And then, of course, you've got that more uh, internal struggle between Luke, Darth Vader, and, of course, Emperor Palpatine. Uh. The <laughs> dark
1: side. Palpatine is gross. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he is my favorite character.
2: <laughs>
1: I just can't stand his face. He's just like um Thanos. It's just a gross, evil face to look at. Such
0: a great villain. I know. Ian McDermott just crushes in that role. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's. Uh, it, it, like we were saying before, how you know Darth Vader is the deadliest force in the galaxy until you're in yes. the Emperor and realize yeah. until you realize, realize who's oh, real master.
1: Darth is. Vader's not scary. He st- instantly stops being scary when Palpatine enters.
0: Yeah, he's sort of reduced to uh, his apprentice. Yeah, his minion.
1: And you realize you realize so much. It's that maybe he doesn't really really truly to his core believe all this but palpatine does like he is evil to the core he's oh, the yeah. dark side 100 uh, and and then he realized darth vader could have been the light side
0: yeah and it's yeah. one of the reasons why i go back to revenge of the sith and i love some of the themes inside of there because it sets up anakin to be yes he turns into darth vader but you realize the motivation behind it, the reason why he goes along with Palpatine. And then he kind of just feels hopeless and stuck after everything's failed. And, you know, that it's really all he has left.
1: Cut two: Return of the Jedi when he gets the helmet off. The saddest, grossest part of the whole. Oh, yeah. Thing. I just can stand seeing end. him on the inside of the helmet. It's so horrible. <laughs>
0: yeah Uh. that's a great moment and then of course that's the big redemption and most people will say well how can you redeem darth vader i mean he's murdered so many people he's just an evil guy he killed younglings in revenge of the sith redemption for me is not necessarily uh it in the eyes of the rest of the galaxy i'm pretty sure everyone still condemns darth vader for what he did it's more so just the um the redemption of there's still a human side to this monster. Of course, yeah. And that uh, Luke was able to get that closure or that resolution with his father.
1: Exactly. It's not for everyone. I don't think anyone else would have cared. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. So, like, the
0: (laughs) Death Star gets blown up and sort of you've got Luke and Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine all on the Death Star as it gets blown up. I think it just lends to that whole prophecy of okay maybe it didn't fulfill the way they thought it would with anakin being the chosen one and they thought that he was gonna bring balance from like a positive you know from being a positive force throughout the galaxy sad but in the end he fulfills the prophecy because his son was able to get him to overthrow the emperor and so it still ends up achieving the balance that they were all sort of hoping to achieve and speaking of carrying on i mean now we're into episodes seven eight and nine and we've had a nine episode saga of this skywalker story right so yeah. i mean it's pretty exciting and how excited were you when uh, star wars was back in 2015 yeah force awakens
1: that first trailer i don't know where and a lot of people were probably in different places you're watching tv or in a movie or hopefully you're in a cinema because just that that note like like, that music note that yeah. you recognize so a well. a great John Williams score. So exciting, yeah.
0: And just to see that, you know, it's kind of a new... Everything looks crisp and well shot, but it's also new uh, content that's coming at you, new Star Wars things that you haven't seen before. And then you see some familiar faces when Han yeah. Solo and Chewie step onto the Falcon and you're like, what is going on? I don't know. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that's so cool.
1: And little, yeah, like, teases, like BB-8 being... So close to R2, but, like, really, like, cute. They love doing cute things. Yeah. Now, like...
0: So it was actually set 34 years after the Battle of Yavin, and the Battle of Yavin being the battle we just spoke about in A New Hope. Yeah. So, I mean, 34 years since, and um, it's kind of opening up with Poe Dameron, and he's, like, one of the uh, Resistance, not the Rebellion, the Resistance, (laughs) uh, because there's a new force of bad guys out there, and the Resistance is the... Branch of the New Republic that is uh, formed to really fight because the New Republic is in a phase where they're trying to demilitarize and they're trying to not get into any more war Star Wars. Yeah. So, uh, it, so when there's an insurgency and some dark forces are rising in the First Order, it's actually um, the Resistance that is kind of like the spark of the rebellion that they talk about in the Last Jedi, where it's like the rebellion's not gone; they're still sticking around, but like this is like the new generation of them. Yeah. And and Leah's at the forefront. She's the general. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool. You got Poe Dameron, he's like their best pilot. He's on Jack he's on another dusty planet that's reminiscent of Tatooine, but it's called Jakku. And he's got um secret data that he's trying to hide in his droid that he got from a mysterious uh friend figure on uh, hooded hooded figure on Jakku. So main heroes we're meeting, uh, we've mentioned Ray, we've mentioned Poe Dameron. Actually, if we mentioned Ray. We just kind of, we start with Poe, then we get Finn. We do not because have
1: mentioned Ray, but I feel like the whole time we've been talking about it, like she's, she's been like there running the, around. She's like the Luke Skywalker of yeah. the new
0: trilogy. But we have a great uh, encounter first with between Poe and Finn. A lot of people are loving that connection because they meet on the Death, not the Death Star. They meet on the, uh, the ship, the First Order uh, ship that was the one that was sending troops down to Jakku. So after Poe Dameron... I think it's Kylo Ren's, like, lead Star Destroyer or something, right? And uh, he basically, uh, Poe Dameron gets captured by Kylo Ren after he gets interrogated. It's actually Finn who comes to rescue him because he sees him as his only opportunity. This yes. is crazy. We've got a stormtrooper willing to defect from the new New galactic empire, it seems like. I know. It's that's crazy. a new
1: concept in yeah, like, Star Wars. And, it, yeah, he's really cool. He's such a good actor because he's just. It, the high, like the intensity of his motives, is like constantly there. You just know he's like got to get off.
0: He's yeah, like, and that's what's cool too is he's he's not like he he was grounded to a side, but he's not necessarily switching to the resistance. He's just switching to his own side of like get me out of here. Like he's yeah. he's he doesn't he's not necessarily aligned with well we know he's not aligned with the first order because he wants out, but he's not necessarily aligned with the resistance because he's just looking out for number one. But he meets Poe and they steal a TIE fighter together and they get off the planet and they crash land onto Jakku. So they're still stuck on Jakku. And he he actually thinks that at, at this point that Poe is gone for good because the oh, whole yeah. ship sinks into the sand. Oh, yeah. So then he's stranded on Jakku with BB-8 and he has to encounter Rey for survival, really. It's yeah. Rey who helps him survive. She's
1: scavenging the yeah. dead ship. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and it's kind of cool seeing them all, like, they don't really know to trust each other, and then they become, like, such an epic team, so.
0: Yeah, when they uh, get off Jakku, that's where we start to see um, the Millennium Falcon, because they steal it to get away, and, of course, the pair of smugglers who are tracking the Millennium Falcon, we know from the trailer, to be Han Solo and Chewbacca, and that's when you get the crew really starting to reunite.
1: Yeah, wow. When do we figure out that she obviously has force? Is that pretty early on?
0: Yeah, it's very early on. That's one of uh, many of the complaints that people have is that it just seems like she's so powerful. But the thing, I, the way I look at it, and the thing I think is cool about it is, it's constantly like Kylo is failing to impress Snoke because Snoke is seemingly all powerful. He mm-hmm. seems to be even more powerful than Rey, and he, you know, especially in the Last Jedi when we talk about the throne room scene and all that. It just he seems very overpowered, whereas Kylo Ren is still finding his, his true power. Like, I think he's he's naturally gifted with power, but he's still exploring his dark force abilities and kind of struggling with the call to the light, too. Yeah. And then he encounters Rey, who's kind of just this unencumbered force. That's why it's The Force Awakened. She just gets, like, instant force abilities, and she figures them out really quickly. And it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's time. Like, it really puts Kylo Ren on the ropes.
1: Yeah, Totally. And what about Snoke? Is he is he related at all to the Sith? So this card? is going to be the
0: big thing, and especially because now, by now, you've probably seen The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi. I hope at least because you're tuning into our discussion over Star Wars leading into Episode Nine. Hopefully, you've done your homework, but we're excited for Episode Nine. And one of my things is I really would like there was never a necessity for the Emperor Palpatine to be. Explored further inside of return of the Jedi because he fills a certain purpose mm-hmm. But once that sort of genie has been out of the bottle It's like he becomes quickly um, One of the overarching forces behind Star Wars mm-hmm. and they explore that inside of the prequel trilogy So they really doubled down on Emperor Palpatine. So why do we care about snow? I mean other than the visuals other than the storytelling aspect of he's the master of Kylo Ren why do we care about him at, in an overall uh, mythology sense are they going to try and connect him to anything else as they try and wrap up episode 9 and and draw connections to the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy are they going to try and paint a little bit of backstory as to how snoke became as powerful as he did because mm-hmm. really at this point he's just uh, acting as like a placeholder for the emperor yeah right? it's very true it's very true and we kind of know that they've teased palpatine's return in episode 9 when we head into the climax of Force Awakens, that's where it's so glaring that we're we're right back where Star Wars began. And this feels very familiar because they introduced Starkiller Base, mm-hmm. which is actually just a bigger version of the Death Star. But to those people that are really going to be sticklers for the story, I would have to just remind you of The Return of the Jedi, how they... They're right back at it trying to build another Death Star. They're not going anywhere. They're ch- they're trying to put Death Stars together, blow up planets, man. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's what the dark side's all about. <laughs> like, <laughs> blowing up planets. <laughs> yeah. So they just found a bigger base that they could do that with, and they could blow up planets even faster than Starkiller Base. So, I mean, I, it's one of those things where you kind of roll your eyes when they do that gag. Like, there are some jokes in Star Wars that work, and there are some that kind of feel more like meta jokes, and that one kind of did. But at the same time, you know, I kind of laughed at it because I, I got what they were going for, and I was just like, yeah, that, that's the new threat. Like, that's what it is. Like Yeah. Like And then they deal with it, and it, it actually feels real, and it feels, like, really big and bad. And
1: Yeah, so crazy. it's not even, like, the thing that's happening, really. It's more how they go about it and how they deal with it. But... Yeah,
0: and the name Starkiller, that's actually an homage. So uh, Lady Victoire actually gave me this, uh, I think it was a Dark Horse comic where it was, like, a look at how oh, yeah. George Lucas had already – had written the story before he adapted it to big screen. Yeah. So they're looking at the original story, and it's completely different from the movies, and then they're doing a graphic novel based on that. And it was actually incredible because it's hilarious to how see all far, the changes. Yeah,
1: how made. far from it was. So, it? like,
0: I think Starkiller was the name of uh, Luke Skywalker. So oh it was Luke Starkiller God. instead of Skywalker so i mean and then they use they use that as like an homage when they named the stark of their base so yeah yeah, so they go and they have to blow that up and it's very star wars and the thing is it's starting it's one of three and i think it gets different as the movies go on and yes the last jedi has a lot of echoes but those echoes are the ones that i love those are the ones that keep it connected to like the empire shakes back exactly i
1: don't see how yeah they're
0: kind of treading familiar ground and we're not going to focus on like the the nitpicks of they did this the same way. I'm going to focus on like what I enjoyed out of the the Mm -hmm. film. So because we have no time before Rise of Skywalker, you got to watch these movies and go out and see episode nine. Yeah. So you had Force Awakens ended on that note of like similar to New Hope. We kind of, we, we pushed back the first order. We took out their biggest weapon, but of course, just like Empire Strikes Back, the first order is not gone, and they're actually hot on the resistance heels and ready to wipe them out, all of them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just it's time for the last Jedi. Just it's like right back in the action. No time has really passed, and they're actually trying to evacuate their base because the first order is coming after them with mm-hmm. dreadnoughts, trying yeah. to blow them up. So watching the, the Last Jedi, I think it's funny. Like I talked a little bit about how the humor in Star Wars can go one way or another. If, if done right, it can feel organic and part of Star Wars, but it can also just feel like they're throwing in gags that – Like, to make the audience laugh that don't even feel like Star Wars, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a lot of people have an issue with some of the humor in Last Jedi. I actually like the way that it works, but it's basically that opening scene where Poe Dameron goes to attack the Dreadnought head-on, and it's just the one X-Wing, and it's Hux going, Okay, well, we're going to wipe all of you out right now. Like, you you guys have no choice. Like, the Resistance is going to be obliterated. And he's just like, "Uh, Hello? I'm holding for General Hux. And he's just, like, stalling. And he's like, I... I can hear you. Can you hear me? And he's like going back and forth. It's just like, yeah. so people think that's like pure cheese. And I think it is cheese on some level, but it works for me. He goes, uh, you get that. Again, I'll compare first order to empire, but he just seems like one of those empire lackeys. And he just comes up to Hux and he's like, I believe he's tooling with you, sir. It's just like, yeah, he's tooling with you, but like, <laughs> I believe he's tooling. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, when uh, the whole battle goes down, it's like, again, it's, you, you get this epic space battle. Right at the beginning. It's like, this is Last Jedi, so that it doesn't have to feel that way at the end. It can be more, like, grounded. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's
0: actually a reversal if you think about how The Empire Strikes Back works, in that you get, like, a Hoth-esque sequence at the end of Last Jedi, whereas you get a big space battle at the beginning. She goes to meet Luke, and then immediately you're wondering. It's a cliffhanger at the end of The Force Awakens. Like, what's going to happen when they meet? And immediately this is kind of where... The haters start to come out in uh, yeah in the fan base, and uh, understandably, because it's you, everyone imagines Luke's a certain way, and when you find out he's not the way you might have thought, it can be jarring. So he takes uh, his own lightsaber that Rey has returned to him, and he just throws it over his shoulder. Oh! And it's time for the Jedi to end.
1: Oh my God! And yeah, well, he thinks
0: yeah, and then um, changes
1: his old mind, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, so I mean you've got the resistance on the run, and it's really like deadly. the deadliest forces of the First Order are on their heels, and when Snoke initially gets mad at Hux for failing, uh, I remember Hux says, "'I'll take it in my chambers.'" Uh, but then he convinces Snoke, and he says, we have them tied on the end of a string. So he's actually got, he's unlocked hyperspace tracking, which is a new technology in the first order, and it's something that the Resistance weren't anticipating, so they're not just able to jump to light speed and get away. That's why the whole thing kind of takes place as a slow speed chase. It's actually a high speed chase, but you see it happening in slow-mo because they're inside of their spaceships, and yeah, you don't see it moving really fast. So. Yeah, because
1: they're high tech. It's not like they're like, "Well." we're going so fast
0: yeah but uh, <laughs> so ray's doing her, her thing meeting luke and luke not wanting to have anything to do with her but still feeling nostalgic for Chewie and mm. millennium falcon and rtd2 and then getting sad that
1: missing the old game we lost
0: han solo right so he yeah. finds out and that's just uh that's a shame but uh
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a cry and shame Yeah.
0: (laughs) So in uh, The Force Awakens, we have this kind of menacing presence in Supreme Leader Snoke. Mm -hmm. Supreme Leader, Supreme Chancellor, any connections there? Who knows? We'll see. (laughs) Palpatine could be pulling the strings. We don't know what revelations are going to come from So nine. I really want them to do something a little bit more with Snoke's backstory and figure out where the dark side's coming from in the Outer Rim.
1: I guess it does feel like it could just go very predictably. I don't know. It kind of does feel that way. So, yeah, I hope that there's something, a big revelation about Snow.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, Uh, But I will say that one of the areas where it went uh, unpredictably would be Kylo Ren's story. He's one of my favorite characters in the new trilogy. Uh, I think he is my favorite. And it's because uh, he starts off as this... Wani Kid, I'm not really sure about him in The Force Awakens. He seems kind of like an emo Vader, and he's kind of lashing out. And he's still – this is what I love about The Last Jedi. It's a slow transition. He's still lashing out. He's not changing from that angry boy. He's just adding layers to himself. So he's still that angry boy underneath, but now he's able to overcome Supreme Leader Snoke, the guy who can see everything, who's laying claim to the Force Skype connection that he's making between – Kylo Ren and Rey. He's saying it's all because of his uh, toolings and his manipulating. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's really the the powerful force here. But Kylo Ren is able to surprise him. Yeah. Where it's that lust for power I was talking to you about before when we were talking about Return of the Jedi, where uh, Palpatine is so he's got this lust for power that he thinks he sees the end of the finish line but he doesn't see the other manipulations going on. He yeah. thinks he's so bullheaded. like He can see Kylo Ren's fixation, but he's also using his power to focus on Ray's thoughts. So he's got a duality there where he's got to read both of their minds at the same time. Yeah. And Kylo Ren uses that to his advantage exactly. because he's twisting both of his fingers in, and in his mind twisting the lightsaber where uh, Snoke thinks, okay, I've got Ray here. I'm forcing Kylo Ren to execute her. The lightsaber's right in front, and now he's turning it to executor. Yeah. But this is what I love. We get moments of him in Force Awakens when he takes out his own father, Han Solo. This is where Ky- Kylo Ren, uh, his acting, Adam Driver's acting comes into play because you don't really know in that moment what he's what going to do. Gonna do yeah. If you didn't know the spoiler, of hopefully you didn't get spoiled on Han Solo's death. Yeah. But um, like for me, it was a complete surprise, and I didn't know if he was in that moment if he was going to go through with it. And that's kind of where we are. When he's coming to kill Rey. And you're like, is he going to do it? But he's actually turning he's turning Rey's lightsaber at the same time he's turning his own. Yeah. And, and uh, Snoke's just in his throne like, yeah, he's doing it. Like, I can see it. I can read her mind. She's fearful. I can read his mind. He's going to kill her. And because he he switches right in that last second to igniting the other lightsaber, not his own. And that's yeah. what slices Snoke in half. I think that's and probably... And he's no longer just a child... In a mask.
1: Yeah, he's probably... That's probably my favorite Last Jedi scene where... And then then it's kind of a little tip to Anakin all over again, too, because it's... He surprises you, but then he surprises... But then he's not really surprising us because he goes, okay, let's take over. Yeah. And... It's like okay, you, you, you're you still bad. Yeah,
0: you think he's redeemed himself, but yeah. it's not a redemption arc at this yeah. point. It's just like a survival uh, yeah. thing. It's kind of like what we were saying before: how Finn would just wanted to survive. He didn't necessarily say, "Let's join the resistance." He was no. just trying to get off the the ship, right? Whereas Kylo Ren just wants to get out from the clutches of Snoke, and he has his own ambitions, and he wants Ray with him at his side. I think he really does love Ray. Yeah, um, but he just like well, doesn't... that's
1: what I mean. It just reminds me of Anakin and yeah, the it's doll. Anakin. And I'm a doll all like over it's again. so true because he's like struggling with like the light and the dark and then you know you think he does something good
0: i love the argument that people make when they're trying to hate on last Jedi. they think oh he's just a, a nephew killer like he just wanted to kill nephew. nephew. was like you missed what? the point in that movie like I've, I've heard that argument and like that is not the thing to nitpick here because you missed the point like he reacted out of fear because he saw like the worst thing even worse than the original trilogy he saw like the darkest the galaxy ever going to get, like, down the road. And yeah. he didn't want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So he was, like, thinking, and he's like, what have I done? Like, I ignited my lightsaber. Like, that was dumb. And then, no, it's uh, too late. Like, you've already started oh, the war. Yeah. Wow. So Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren, he actually takes some of the students with him yeah. and burn down the temple. So we, there are actually characters out there from the current trilogy that we haven't even encountered yet. We're probably going to encounter in Episode 9 when we see like, the Knights of Ren. Maybe they're coming back for Kylo. Maybe they're going to try and join him. Or maybe they want to kill him. Like, yeah. Who knows? But like, they're part of this story too. Um, so that's the cool thing about J.J. J. Abrams returning for The Rise of Skywalker is that he's going to wrap up some of the storylines he started in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. But just to touch on The Last Jedi, uh, Kylo's character, because he is my favorite, it's not just the showdown with Rey. Uh, he gets his moments leading up to that where he ponders actually pulling the trigger on his own mother, Princess Leia, on the ship, and he actually hesitates and he doesn't. So there's still like moments where he's, you know, that's, that's a very light side instinct. It's not like. You know, it's, it, he's, at that moment, he's not fully immersed in the dark or else he would have pulled yeah, the trigger. Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, and then, of course, the ship still gets attacked and Princess Leia gets uh, blown out the, uh, the explosion of the ship. And then this is where we find that, yes, she is powerful like Luke and she has force powers too. Yeah. And she pulls herself back from space. I mean, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was wild. And
0: like, there's also this little moment of foreshadowing as she's floating in through the ship. She actually cuts through the hologram of Snoke's ship. And you oh, see her go yeah. through the middle of his ship, the, like the hologram of his ship. That's, that's wild. such a cool moment because we know there's going to be probably the most epic shot, single shot of the movie for me was when. Uh, Holdo decides to sacrifice herself to save the rest of the resistance as they go down to the rebel base on Crait. So, I mean, there's that great shot of just like a single fire. It's like she used hyperspace as like a a sniper bolt
2: and like just
0: punched through through. Snoke's ship. And it was the coolest thing ever. So you want to come at me, all you haters out there who want to explain in science fiction terms why that doesn't make sense? Well, I got news for you. Star Wars is not really a science fiction property, more so (laughs) it's a fantasy property. So yeah,
1: that's true. Definitely. There's fantasy. science fiction
0: elements, but it's fantasy first. And, and you just got to buy they're... some of these moments that they dish out. To. Check um,
1: out uh Sir Walter's Twitter for a lot of different like perspectives. You're always talking to people about their opinions yeah. on there. And of
0: course, we can't Doc forget Doom. we cannot forget the re- reunion between Luke and a a special little green guy.
1: Oh, exactly. The, uh, the He's go- not a
0: baby, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't
1: it Isn't it the ghost of yods that like um, destroys
0: the yeah he lights the yeah, tree on fire and this is right after luke is going with like a flare or a torch or something because he's gonna light it yeah. on fire and he decides you know what am i thinking like he has another moment people they're setting up these parallels he has another moment where he's gonna do something brash and he goes no i know better i'm a jedi and centers himself and doesn't do it but and then, then little hermit yoda just laughs to himself and uses a new power of Force Ghost that we never knew existed. Right. He, and I think he conjures lightning to destroy the tree. Yeah. But I think that's largely because of where they are. I don't think that this means that Yoda can run around the force, First Order and do lightning on them. I think it's uh, a very, yeah. like, in the moment, like, I'm drawing on the power of this island of Ankto and all the forces here, and I can use it to, my, to, to display, uh, yeah. you know, to really send a message to Luke here.
2: right?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Because there are those gripes of like, oh, they just do whatever they want. Like he can just light the. Why didn't you do that to Palpatine? And it's like, guys, like there's a trajectory here. Yeah.
1: And And, uh, do you think we will would see Yoda again, or that's it? Was it for him?
0: So he might pop up in episode nine as they just sort of wrap up. I could see there being like a big Ewok party and some Force Ghosts at the end. But yeah, they want to do that. I I think he's done in terms of like. I think Luke's going to take his role as the. It's kind of like a mirror of. If Yoda was like Obi-Wan's role in the original trilogy, then Luke will become like Yoda was in the original. Sort of like being the next advisor to Rey to Mm -hmm. kind of complete her training fully. We have that great battle on the salt planet where it's initially like a Hoth sequence. Mm -hmm. Except the guy actually tastes the ground, I don't know why he would, and goes, (laughs) salt? Okay. (laughs) Okay. I I, I truly think that's people. Ryan Johnson's way of combating like the trolls and the haters out there. Like see it's a whole planet loaded with salt, you know, little suckers. <laughs> Um would what, they call it in the review the dusty salt salt, dust, salt when dust. The salt
1: dust settles.
0: Yeah, when the salt dust settles. So, now we're back on this salt plain of crate, and that's where the old decommissioned rebel base that the First Order didn't know about was hiding and that's kind of like the interesting dynamic between Poldo and Poe in this movie is that Poe is still like the hotshot flyboy. He thinks he knows best because in the beginning, he's so desperate to take out the dreadnought that he actually sacrifices like all of the bombers in the fleet and like most of the resistance fleet just to get that done. Now that was a huge moment as in like, it's a, uh, it mirrored what they did in Force Awakens and in New Hope, just even Return of the Jedi blowing up a big like, threat to the the galaxy, but at the end of the day leia's going well that's not the that's not the best course of action because that's not the way we're going to survive this Mm -hmm. so it's still him thinking that he knows best and then holdo is it's on her too because she withholds the information from him Mm -hmm. not saying that like obviously the professional course of action is chain of command and like if you're if you're on a need to know basis you don't need to know kind of thing but like At the same time, it's like maybe if you just kind of leveled with them as like, we know what we're doing, like not be such a hard-ass to them. Mm -hmm. And again, that's kind of like, that's also nitpicking where it's like that's not her character to to be like that, right? So Mm -hmm. she does this great thing where she does the hyperspace shot, but that sacrifices herself. They escape to crate, and now they're on like this Hoth-like battle sequence with the speeders. And it was so incredible visually how um, it was sort of red underneath the layer of salt. Uh, when mm-hmm. you, when you kicked up the salt, it left like red streaks through the salt. Yeah,
2: yeah. That was
0: a really cool visual. Yeah. And then uh, at this point, Ray has well, it, it's actually Finn and Rose and BB Eight who through the yeah, whole Rose, struggle. Yeah. So they get down to crate as well, and I think it's like Chewie is flying with Ray, I think, and they're they're shooting Tie Fighters out of the sky.
1: And at this point, is Finn have his a purpose, or is he still just like along for the ride?
0: So this was the interesting thing, and one of the big complaints about The Last Jedi is that um, Finn's arc is similar to The Force Awakens. But I'd argue on multiple rewatches that although it's definitely not in the forefront, and a lot of people don't like the Canto byte sequence where they go to the casino, mm. and, and be, especially because it doesn't amount to anything. But it's True. all part of the main theme, I think, of The Last Jedi, which is failure, which is a similar recurring theme from the Empire Strikes Back where it's and it's what Yoda loves to preach to all the heroes. Yeah. Um but it's basically the idea that like you're going to set out to do something and it's going to fail miserably and how do you recover from that? And that's what the last Jedi is about. Mm-hmm. And it's Luke using all of his power and then fading into the force just before fading into the force he uses his last ounces of power to give them the moment that spark that they need to get away so that some of them can evade the first order and rebuild a a, re- a rebellion to fight the this massive first order that's seemingly coming out of nowhere right like mm-hmm. i think they built up very quickly it seems the star wars universe because yeah. when we're like watching what happens in the mandalorian and it's like only five years after return of the jedi it's like there's still some empire out there but it's like they're not running the galaxy or anything like that that was all solved by return of the jedi it's like it, it takes like the course of like 20 to 30 years for this all to go south right yeah, yeah. Um, so but there was that so we talked about snoke's um, surprise death and then kylo Ren stepping into the shoes of supreme leader but before he makes that choice in front of Rey they have to team up for the other greatest sequence in the movie which is the throne room sequence which is arguably one of the best lightsaber battles within within Star Wars and it doesn't even have lightsaber on lightsaber it's just like a great sequence
1: yeah wow
0: it's just them fighting off uh Snoke's fir- uh imperial guard or Snoke's main uh mm-hmm. red guards mm-hmm. and they're all just so like they all have different we- cool weapons, and they're all getting taken down by a team-up effort of Kylo Ren and Rey. So now we're doing the final battle down on Crait, and that's where they finally get to the doors. And you were asking about Finn, right? And Finn, he's having this same arc as The Force Awakens, but the way I think it differs is he's going through, I need to get away, I need to survive, and then within this movie, it's like, I need to find Rey. So he didn't have friends before he just wanted to look out for himself now he has friends but he's still not committed to the resistance he's only committed to his friends so by the end of this sequence this is where he realizes the greater picture yeah. and i think he's going to be fully involved in the resistance and the rebellion especially after his final battle in the last should with phasma right before they rescue Rey, where he she calls him rebel scum and that's like yeah. he's earned his stripes right Totally. Yeah, so i mean totally. they're I can see the argument of like, oh, Finn didn't have a great storyline in this movie, but he still goes from A to B. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think that it's actually a cool storyline because he's really like on a path of discovery like in a bloody one, and I we guess. get a cool
0: new character with Rose Tico. I mean, she's the sister of Paige, who's the one that sacrifices herself to kill the Dreadnought with the yeah. bomber, and she's sad about that. But then she finds Finn trying to run off to save to get in touch with the Ray, and she's like, "No, you can't run away. No, like, no. Uh, yeah, of
1: course not. No, uh-huh. um,
0: what do you call it when you?" you're a traitor like you know when you're you're trying to defect or whatever, trying to go AWOL yeah uh, there'll be none of that i'm going to stun you and then we're going to go on an adventure together that's really going to amount to nothing but you could say that at the same time they are on the ship when ray needs to get off of it and they all go back to crate so i mean it all ends up to a place where you can continue the journey right so yeah so it's all it's all good i mean you could argue that Benicio del Torrio's character is a little out there, but I kind of liked his portrayal. It was a little over the top, but Star Wars has those moments too. Oh, well, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on Phasma overall?
1: Uh, well, I think yeah, it's interesting, like how like Mandaloriany, like is is that who we're talking about? The head of the Star yeah, she's keepers? similar, right? Like yeah. this is the
0: kind of connection that I've been drawing recently, and I don't know if it's just. From a pure aesthetic and the fact that I've been watching so much Mandalorian that I'm drawing a connection. But I'm drawing this weird connection between Phasma and the armorer like, in uh, the Mandalorian. That's what I
1: mean. Do you think she's like this is the way? Oh, yeah, way. like
0: I wonder that because again, she's commanding the stormtroopers, and but it's in a very structured like way, right? Like yeah. where it's like totally so, like There's the more same to this and like does she ever Take off her helmet because we only see a glimpse of her eye when she's dying yeah. in Last Jedi. But before that, we've never seen her with her helmet off. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's just this kind of thing. Where it would be cool if they went down that road, but it's it's all obvious if they don't want to like try and connect all the dots in that way. Like I, I get it, but it's a, it's definitely a parallel. Like I draw her uh, comparison to um, her character being feeling the same void that someone like Boba Fett did in the original trilogy, although. I would argue that Boba Fett was more instrumental in the original trilogy than she was. She doesn't do a lot inside of this trilogy. Yeah, I think you
1: were saying you would like to see her.
0: I haven't read the book called Phasma, but I'm sure that they give her a lot more to do in her own (laughs) book. But uh, uh, from a cinematic standpoint, she's more. She's there to sell toys, let's be be real, right? But uh, she still has this cool... She represents all that Finn tried to get away from and, like... She represents, like, the control that Finn had to deal with, like, when he was stuck on on the First Order, right? Yeah. So, like, she is still an obstacle for him to overcome, to become the hero that he needs to be, especially in Episode 9 going Mm -hmm. forward. So, to finish off strong, he needs to be uh, in the right mindset, right? And he's already kind of put her to bed and, like, he can kind of be his own.
1: Yeah, so it's I mean,
0: we've got, yeah, I mentioned uh, Benicia del Toro where he's, he's, like...
1: Well, now that... Um, Luke has like faded into the like died basically. Yeah.
0: Um, I think it, he's gone the way of the Force Ghost, just like Obi Wan. Exactly. And Yoda. So,
1: do will will we will he Force Ghost again? Will he be part of the next movie?
0: You know what? I think that Ray needs to kind of complete her training in the similar way that Luke thought he needed to in Return of the Jedi. So, she needs to have some more interactions with some of these Jedi to really secure what she's going to do moving forward, because, like, how is she going to overcome this great adversary in the First Order, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So Yeah. um, Now we've got, like, Kylo Ren as Supreme Leader. What's he going to do? Yeah, what's he going to
1: use his power for? It's such
0: a weird concept that the fact that we kind of get a tease of Palpatine's return, that there's going to be connections to the past, but we know that Kylo Ren doesn't care about the Jedi or the Sith. Like, he wants to let the past die, all of it. So he just wants to, like, rule his own way and not really care about any of the, like, pre-constructs that, like, yeah. exist within Star Wars. So it's going to be interesting because is he going to be desperate to find more power that he needs to dive into the Sith a little bit? Or, like, because yeah. there's an idea out there that we know Reza nobody has a Last Jedi. A lot of people like that choice that she doesn't have parents that are connected in bloodline in any way to the Skywalkers, yeah. or that she's just, like a nobody that anybody can become powerful that it's a it's strong symbolism there yeah i agree on that level but i also think wouldn't it be cool if there was it went deeper there was a deeper connection she's to really why to she's involved in the story yeah. and that maybe palpatine was tinkering with the force maybe True. he really did if they i would love a mention of the tragedy of darth Plagueis the wise i would love yeah that would be um, them to to really prove or reveal that Palpatine did learn from his master and that he knows how to cheat death or create life. And if he were able to create an entity out of the Force. I remember a a Star Wars theory, like a fan theory, where they thought even Anakin, because he didn't have a uh, father, he was just born of Shmi. Mm. Kind of like in a Jesus-esque way. Yeah, yeah. um, That maybe it was Palpatine all along that manipulated the dark side and had him created. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be a cool idea. But imagine they just made that about Rey. And they made her her a product of his, or like a clone or something. Or if she had clones. Yeah. Like in a parallel to Last Jedi where she goes down into the pit. And in Empire Strikes Back, Luke goes into the tree and sees himself in Darth Vader mask. In The Last Jedi, she sees herself a million times in the mirror. Kind of like a Harry yeah, Potter totally. mirror, totally right? well, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we got some predictions there for Star Wars <laughs> Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. I just finished uh, all my rewatches, and I'm going to focus on my little Palpatine trilogy that we just yeah, discovered, which I is Revenge uh, uh, of the Sith Episode 3 We've got Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. That'll set prime me up perfectly for Palpatine's return in Episode Nine. The Rise of Skywalker. The yeah, Rise. We
1: hope that we've gotten all you so excited for The Rise of
0: Skywalker. Oh, man. It's going to be insane. Be Either wild. way, I could be completely wrong, and we'd have a completely different podcast next week. But <laughs> uh, All right. Well, thanks again for listening, and squibbing Ravelry out. Out. If you have seen Last Jedi and you're just looking to kind of mix it up, my idea would be the third installment of each trilogy. So just go The Revenge of the Sith then go return, return of the, of the jedi, jedi and then the Rise like go. go up oh
1: that's exciting yeah
0: so that'd be yeah, cool because cool. then you get like the palpatine connection and then you get for um,
1: sure and that's and what th- we everyone's looking for I yeah think.
0: yeah so it's the palpatine trilogy everybody
1: yeah <laughs> yes
0: i just coined it right there on squibbling rivalry
1: <laughs> shout out to daddy palpatine <laughs> daddy
0: palpatine yo daddy palpatine you're coming on the show no that's <laughs> just don't. too far yeah this is a family
2: channel guys. <laughs>